0: Hello and welcome to another unexciting episode of Hashtag Pistons Podcast. I'm Joe, I'm still your host. Koo fell asleep again, so he's not going to be here today. But thankfully, I'm not going to be all on my lonesome. We have a special guest with us today, Lazarus Jackson. You can go ahead and introduce yourself, Laz. I'm uh, I'm Lazarus Jackson.
1: I'm a writer and editor at Detroit Bad Boys. I'm a something at Motor City Made. Uh, I do some stuff there occasionally. And uh, I host the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh, What's up, Joe?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I don't know exactly how long it's been, but like not long after I started doing stuff like on Twitter and such, you were following me and plugging my stuff. So I'm super thrilled to have you on and get to talk to you a little bit because you've always been cool to me. So I'm trying to be cool back.
1: your, Your stuff was good. Right? Like, that's the only thing I really care about is, like, good stuff. And
0: your stuff is pretty good. Well, your definition of good might be a little bit too wide. But anyways, the <laughs> Pistons the Pistons did play a game uh, last night, although I suppose when this comes out it'll be two nights ago, against the Nets. They lost 119-102 in overtime. Of course, Spencer Dinwiddie hit a step-back three. First, he hit a step-back three to hit, send it to overtime, hit another to win the game. Uh, notable stat lines, Blake Griffin scored 25 points, uh, Andre Drummond had 24 and 23, Reggie Jackson scored 21 points fairly inefficiently, no one else on the Pistons did a whole lot, although they had a huge rotation, uh, 11 guys played, and then for the Nets, of course, uh, Joe Harris had freaking 23 points, Karis LeVert had 19, and of course Spencer Dimwitty had 25, including the game-winner. So, yeah, any sort of just general thoughts on that game? So, oh, what I amid, immediately noticed was that
1: the Pistons bench is uh, like plus minus wise, the Pistons bench all has, they're, they're in the positive. Most of the Pistons starters are like in the negatives or close to it. it. Was because the Nets, like midway through the second, for like a long time in the second quarter, Went to a, like, no Ed Davis, no, um, no Jared Allen lineup. I was just, like, crushing them on screens and, like, on the offensive glass. And you could just get to the rim whenever you wanted to because there's no rim protection. And so they were able to build up the lead that way. Um, uh, the play on Spencer Dinwiddie that kind of, like, woke him up, that was bad. Um, Jose Calderon played 15 minutes.
0: Yeah, that was that, is, that was a little bizarre. <laughs> um,
1: the overtime period was just like, and of Spencer Dinwiddie just getting to go downhill because of the drop coverage, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was like it was like nice because like Blake had us in that game in a way that like we normally wouldn't have been. Like, usually they just lose their game in regulation, right? Yeah, for sure. Some huge threes and had seven free throws, and, like, um, the Nets have nobody who can guard him. So it's just like, okay, he's keeping us in it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the other thing with when um, the Pistons bench having a lot of pluses also, and I I tweeted this yesterday. I'm not sure how I feel about it long term, but um, Dwayne Casey went with the Bruce Brown, Glenn Robinson, and Stanley Johnson uh, and the three wing spots for a while, and the Pistons really gave them trouble with that look, and the Nets, they just couldn't score. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that long term, especially when you've got Ishmith point guard and Zaza Pachulia at center. There there definitely will be nights. If if he goes with that long term, there would definitely be some nights where uh, scoring would be at an absolute premium, but they looked pretty solid defensively. Um, the one thing about Jose Calderon playing a bit and is that I'm pretty sure that... So Reggie Bullock hurt his ankle, so he didn't come back. And then I think I saw, actually, that Langston Galway got banged up a little bit, too, and that's why he only played, like, 5 minutes and 30 seconds. So that may have contributed to Calderon playing so much, and then also Bruce Brown obviously played 28 minutes. He started the second half, but I'm pretty sure that's because of injuries. Um, you know, this wasn't actually... This was going to be after another thing, but we can kind of dive right into this. So obviously, you're a proponent of playing Glenn Robinson the third more minutes, um, you know. So last night he only got 14. Bruce Brown got 28. What do you sort of think of uh, the dynamics there? I just wish I
1: just wish we knew why, right? Because what Casey what Casey said after the Chicago game when Luke didn't play, right, was that like he can't play 15 guys, which is like okay, sure. And like a second round rookie is playing like over your prized free agent acquisition. And the reason I can explain I can think of is that it's because of like Bruce Brown's like defensive mentality and like on ball defense. But that's only that's only but so good, especially like in the lineup you're talking about with with Bruce and Stanley and Glenn a very offensive, like you're not just, you're just not going to score a lot of points with that lineup. And so I, I don't know. I prioritize offense over defense, especially with this team, just because traditionally the Pistons have been like an okay defensive team. The fundamentals of their defense are strong right now. They're not giving up a lot of threes and they're forcing teams to shoot a lot of mid range, mid range jumpers. So like, you know, mathematically they're in a good place.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm
1: just is all.
0: There, there is actually, I actually did, I thought of you when um, when they started the second half with Bruce Brown and Stanley Johnson, because I didn't know at the time that Reggie Bullock had hurt himself, and that also, once again, supposedly Langston Galloway did too, although I'm not 100% sure if that's true, I just saw that somewhere, but I thought of you because it, you obviously are, I, w- have been an advocate for most of the offseason of starting Glenn Robinson over Stanley Johnson, and I just thought when they started with Bruce Brown and Stanley Johnson, it was like, well, Dwayne Casey apparently decided he likes Stanley Johnson so much, he decided to start two versions of Stanley Johnson. and <laughs> big, big Stanley and small Stanley. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I
1: mean, okay, so. Uh, yeah, go so, ahead. Bruce Brown and Stanley Johnson has like, I'm looking at it right now on NBA.com. They have like a 20, they have a plus 25 net rating. Well, their defensive ratings like. Really
0: like Twenty-five points per hundred possessions, or something, isn't it? Their defensive rating is (laughs) seventy-eight. Just the the
1: two-man pairing, right? Like that's that's ridiculous. And so, like, I understand why a coach would be like, "Yeah, I want those two dudes on the floor." But their offensive rating is one hundred and three, which is like not good enough offense in the NBA in two thousand eighteen. And a seventy-eight defensive rating is not going to maintain itself over a larger sample. So it makes a lot of sense. Just. Um, I mean, so the thing that I've been seeing with uh, some of the B writers on Twitter is that like he just Glenn just doesn't have the full trust of the coaching staff yet. Um, He does have a tendency to like belch up a lot of like 18 footers off of um, DHOs or screens. And like you wish you wish those were were threes or like you wish those were he could go all the way to the rim. He still wants to take off on two feet, uh, even though I know they worked on that during the offseason, getting him to take like one foot floaters and stuff. Like, if you just need a guy to, like, stand in the corner and make all the threes that, like, Reggie Bullock has missed so far.
0: Dude, right? Yeah, I mean, well, first off, one thing, and I've talked about this before. um, Obviously, I've been, i mean, Koo have talked about this a bunch. I was not a fan of hiring Dwayne Casey, and one of my criticisms before they even hired him is that it's like, okay, so one of the things people complained about with Stan Van Gundy so much is that he put too much emphasis on the defensive end and didn't put enough emphasis on the offensive end at times. And Dwayne Casey is the same way. Uh, Once again, he goes about his business as a coach very differently. He's not nearly as grumpy and miserable as Stan Van Gundy is, but a lot of his coaching philosophies are very, very similar to Stan Van Gundy. And so and that's the reason why it's like when you talked about Glenn Robinson maybe starting, I was like, there's no way. And it's not even necessarily, no, I do like Stanley. I, I'm mostly in favor of Stanley continuing to start for at least a while. But it was like, there's no way because Stanley Johnson is pretty clearly their best defender. And there's no way that Dwayne Casey's not going to start him. And it doesn't shock me because I didn't think Bruce Brown would be this good right out the gate on the defensive end. But no one thought he would be this good. So I don't blame you. I mean, well, for what it's worth, just because he went to Miami at the same time he was there, Sham Sham talked up Bruce Brown a whole bunch. But I mean. I I thought he was even, maybe even
1: in like summer league though he looked like a supremely limited offensive player. Well,
0: yeah, and right? for what it's worth, he still does. He's kind of gotten some trash buckets so far, which that's not a that's a tough living to make in the NBA. But I mean, and just in summer league, he did look like you could see that this dude could defend. Like I'm one of the first things I said about him is like that dude sits on the floor on defense. You know, that's kind of the the terminology that coaches use is, you know, sit down, sit down. He does that. And I just, normally rookies are not good defenders. Even ones that are 23, he's 23, I think. Even older rookies, almost no matter what, they're terrible defensively when they come into the NBA just because there's too much adjusting. There's too much stuff you have to grasp. And he's been awesome defensively. He still fouls more than he should, which is a rookie thing. But he really has been awesome defensively, and he's managed to find ways to sort of find some points on offense. But I do not have a lot of faith in him being worth anything on that end, quite frankly, long term. Because once guys sort of, once opponents sort of are aware of the fact that you're, you like to sort of just sneak your way into open space and grab offensive rebounds or cuts and that sort of thing, once you're sort of aware of that, it gets much harder to do. Like, just an example, if you remember back when Reggie Bullock first started getting minutes, he was getting buckets off of cuts left and right because people just weren't ready for it. And then once teams sort of become aware that that's what you like to do, it gets much harder to do it successfully. But So simply put, if I had known Bruce Brown was going to be this ready defensively, even with how much I think he's very much so not ready offensively, I would have figured that he would get playing time this season because Dwayne Casey he loves guys who de- who can defend. He's the one who um, famously said this was a few years ago now, but someone asked him, you know, what position does a guy play, and he said, "You can the position you can play is the positions you can defend," and that's really the best way to put it with him. And I think that's one of the reasons why Langston Galloway was playing over Luke Kennard the first few games of the season is probably because. He just didn't trust Luke Kennard's defense. I think that's what we're seeing with Glenn Robinson. And I mean, you know, Bruce Brown has been pretty decent out the get go, but I definitely agree with you that long term, I feel like you've definitely got to be playing Robinson more. Uh especially because of the fact that other than Stanley Johnson, you have no other like big wings at all. And there's like Stanley Johnson is also like functionally your backup four right now. Yeah. So it's just And, you know, as you've pointed out a billion times, Stanley Johnson can't shoot. So Glenn Robinson is essentially the only guy in your roster who is a quote-unquote two-way big wing player. And he just, he is. He's the only guy you've got for that. So even though I think Stanley's defensive contributions are really important to having him in the starting lineup just because there's way too many really high-level wing players in this league, That, and we've seen this, you know, before last year, we saw this several year, the two years before this, um, with the Pistons, that they just did not have that high level defender on the wings. And so when they'd run into a guy who was too big for Contavious Caldwell Pope to guard, they'd just get killed by them almost every time. And I think because of that, that's why I sort of lean towards Stanley Stain as the starter, uh, just because I think that's too important. But You've got to play Glenn Robinson once again, especially like you said, Stanley Johnson is functionally your backup power forward. So I just I can't see how you can leave Glum Robinson out of the rotation like this. I mean, so
1: I I think that so when, when I get the impression that Glenn is more focused on offense than defense, just like in general, and that the coaching staff is like instructing him to focus more on defense and like let his shots come. But um, so no one else on the wing is can is shooting right now. Like Bullock is cold. Stanley's never been a shooter. Bruce Brown hasn't been a shooter. Luke is injured. I can, you know, back and forth. Blanks and
0: Galloway's shot like, like absolute trash so far.
1: And it's just like, well, if I'm the guy who makes shots, like I will eventually win the job. You'll have no choice. And so, you know, I'm oh. That like with all this, with uh with Canard's injury and with Bullock's like uncertain status, will at least see Glenn like carve out like a nice like fifteen to twenty minute a night role, right? Asking him to do more than that, I think, would have been like a little bit too much, just because you know, we we there we assume linear prog- progression with Glenn from uh, the season he had like two years ago before he got hurt. Maybe maybe his progression isn't linear, but, like, he still has the right skill set to be next to the starters. And, you know, like, on Stanley, but, like, Stanley has played pretty well in, like, the last three games. I've been surprised. Um, I'm, like, we just, we don't know how long it's going to last, right?
0: Yeah, I he, mean, once again, he looks, when there's someone he can really defend on the other end, he looks a lot better because... He's just a lot more valuable when there's someone that he can really attack on defense. And the best thing for him the last few games is that he's had opportunities to really get out in transition because that's, at this point, that's clearly where he's best on offense is just being a human bulldozer and charging through in transition. And, you know, with there's that's not a great way to be as an offensive player, obviously, but at the very least, he's found some way to give some positive contributions on offense, and it is always, kind of well, a, like. And the
1: other thing is, like, he's supposed to be like a good passer. He's supposed to be good with the ball in his hands, despite the fact that he can like really only go right. But and like he's, we've seen a little bit of that during this stretch as well. But he's also like turning the ball over more uh, yeah. as a result. Yeah, I mean, so it makes it makes sense for him to be. I, I like, I see why he's in the starting lineup, definitely. But like as a complimentary piece next to him, you don't want Maul or Stanley Johnson in your stalling in your starting lineup.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the one thing, I tweeted this out uh last night or two nights ago, whatever it was, um, that a theoretical bench mob that has Bruce Brown, Stanley Johnson, and Glenn Robinson on the floor. I mean, once again, I'm pretty skeptical of that offensively long term, but I do think that with a bench mob, it's it's even more important to sort of have a clear identity of what you are going to do. Uh, and, and with that group, at the very least you do have that. And I will say that during that stretch, Glenn Robinson looked better defensively than he has a lot of the other time. That's been one of his issues. I think is, and you I mean, mentioned this, he's earlier. guarding, the he's guarding the third best perimeter
1: defender, right? Yeah. He's, he's probably going to look better.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I'm because he is obviously, he's a really good athlete. He's long. He's pretty fast. He's got good side to side quickness. Like he's not a total bum, obviously. Just he just doesn't quite have whether it's sort of focus or whether he's not quite strong enough, whatever. He's probably not even probably. I'd say it's fair to just say he's not like your sort of like classic big wing defender. But like you said, if he's on if he's on the opposing team's third best perimeter player, then he's not getting taken off the dribble all the time. And because he's long and he's fast and he's athletic he's able to be a really good sort of complementary defensive player. He can rotate over and he can contest the rim decently for a wing player because he can jump so high. He can contest shots at the three-point line, et cetera, et cetera. So with that group, at the very least, you know that they're going to go out and they're just like, we're just going to defend and be long and athletic, basically. And it's a different vibe, but this is one of the things that I liked about, um, this was obviously towards the end of last season, but... Um, The bench mob that had Eric Moreland and Dwight Bikes and Anthony Tolliver and Stanley Johnson on the floor together. Because it's like, there's some nights where they couldn't score at all, but every night they defended and they defended. And that lineup actually was pretty significantly a plus for them last year. And so if you sort of make that same theory, I could see that bench crew working out. But, yeah, I mean... It really is. Especially I mean,
1: what what I would what I would like is for uh, that bench crew to have uh, like if if John Lur were alive, right, and yeah. playing center instead of Zaza in that lineup, where you could like give everybody on the floor like just a little, like that that little bit more space. John Lur actually like being a threat on the
0: perimeter, allegedly.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd be looking forward to with that lineup.
0: Well, I'm. I'm supposedly he like is not all the way in game shape, or at least he wasn't. Uh, there's been some, I since the season started, there hasn't been a lot of talk on that, Mark, on that, you know, on him with that, so it's not abundantly clear if they're still just like, nah, he's just not in game shape, we're giving him some more time, or if Dwayne Casey's just decided, no, we're going to play Zaza. But I certainly hope that if John Lure is, like, ready to go, I hope that he will play because... One of the big things with him, and one of the things I liked about him when they signed him initially even is that he's a really, really nice fit with Smith because they both love to get out and run in transition. And so yeah, like you said, if you put him at center instead of Zaza, I'm Zaza does some stuff. Zaza's screens are obviously phenomenal. Uh, that does help your offense, but lure, even if he's not hitting threes, like he can shoot out to the mid-range. He was still an effective mid-range shooter the last time he played and he's not going to be certainly not much worse than Zaza defensively. He's not strong obviously, but he's not going to be so freaking slow. And so yeah, I really think if Lure can play, he should be playing, but I do like that lineup better because one thing that John Lure brings you especially off the bench is that he's kind of a sneaky good um a sneaky good uh matchup problem where he's Quick enough and sort of skilled enough with the ball that against slow centers, he's able to dribble around them. And if he gets switched onto smaller guys, he's comfortable backing them down, just shooting over them. And so, especially if you're coming off the bench, that's something that you can do quite a bit. So, if you go with that bench unit, just having another guy who's a legitimate, that you know, all you really need from in a bench crew are you need to find like six or seven possessions a night where you can get a decent look, you know and particularly how that bench crew should theoretically defend. That's really all you need. So having a guy who can have just, even if it's just two possessions a night, but just go get a bucket for you on two plays, uh, I think that would be really valuable. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't disagree. And, um, yeah, so that's probably about that's probably about all we really need to say about that. Um, one other big thing that we want to touch on is, not even touch on, we want to go... We want to go all the way, and we want to go deep. Is the combination of Ishmith and Reggie Jackson, which has been heavily, heavily used by Dwayne Casey in the early going, um, you could start off just sort of general thoughts on that. So oh, I just so I'm having trouble envisioning
1: why uh, not why Dwayne Casey is utilizing it, but like why it's so good, right? Like my issue personally with Ish has always been that he was never a good enough three point shooter for, uh, for the team. And so when he was forced to play extended minutes, uh, he kind of gummed up the offense because having a point guard who can't shoot is kind of like death in, in today's NBA, but he can shoot now, or at least like teams don't haven't figured out that he's like willing to shoot. And so he's getting way more open looks than he will be getting in two, two and a half months when teams are like, Oh, he's shooting 37% or whatever from three. Um, so, like, I understand why Ish is playing in two-guard lineups with Reggie Jackson. What I don't understand is just, like, completely marginalized Reggie Jackson as, like, a spot-up shooter, right? We saw, like, last night he took 23 shots. Uh, not all of those shots were good shots. We, uh, we You and I talked about, like, a couple days ago, uh, the seeming abandonment of the Reggie Jackson, like, Andre Drummond pick-and-roll um, as a as a method for deriving offense from someone from someone in the starting lineup who's not Blake Griffin, right? Yeah. And so like Ish is basically the sixth starter. And so it's like, well, like yeah, Ish can do a lot of this stuff, but like that doesn't mean we have to like marginalize Reggie at the same time. I feel like I feel like they should be more complementary now.
0: Yeah. You know. Well, so because you asked about, and you asked this on Twitter the other day, and I was like, wink, wink, this would be a good thing to talk about on the podcast. So um, there's a, there's a couple of things with it. Um, wake up, Koo. Yeah, just to pause this a sec, Koo um, did wake up. He's here now, so he scooped in. Uh, we'll get to him in just a minute with a couple of things here. But So to continue the thought I was on. So, because you asked about it. So, why is the Ishmith-Reggie Jackson combination working right now? Um, so, first off is that, let's be honest about something. Ishmith is currently shooting 46% from deep. That's probably not going to continue. I'm just going to go on a limb. Even if he has severely improved his three-point shooting, I'm going to guess that he didn't overnight become one of the best three-point shooters in the league. Just as a guess there. Um, but there is some logic to it, and I'm not a huge fan of them playing him as much as they are. But there's you sort went, of you've been very vocal that like it's is just not good. Yeah, I want you to explain that to me. Okay, when you say it's so, not as good as Dwayne Casey thinks he is, what what do you mean? Okay, so here's the two thing. First off, I I like Ish Smith. I think he is good. I think he's a good backup. I think he's good enough to play major minutes. And I don't mind them doing the Reggie Jackson-Ishmith combination. Um, But so they're, just to give the positive here, all right? There is sound logic to playing them together, okay? So there's two things. First off is that it seems like Dwayne Casey's pretty clearly decided that Ishmith is his fifth fifth best player. And so he just says, screw it. We're going to play our five best guys. Ishmith is one of them, and that's what we're going to do. And that's actually something I'm in favor of. I think that I actually have a... Long standing theory that you know everyone focuses so much on, oh, the NBA is going small, the NBA is going small, and they talk about Golden State's um, death lineup with that. When in reality, I don't think that's actually necessarily what it is, it's just teams are smart enough now to realize we don't necessarily need to have these positions, you just need to get your five best guys on the floor. And so, for the Warriors that year, their five best guys included not having a traditional center. And that's really what the key was. Like, if they had Andre Drummond instead of Andre Iguodala, guess what? Their death lineup would have had a center on it. Um, So that's one thing, and I like that. That's a good idea. Um, You know, so I'm all for that. Then the second thing is that the Pistons in previous years have had, at times, a fatal lack of, you know, sort of shot creation and ball handling on the floor. That's one of the reasons why they collapse so badly without Reggie Jackson the last couple years is that they just do not have enough guys on the floor who can go get buckets, who can create looks for other guys, whatever. And there's an extent to which playing Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith so much together is the sort of idea of just hold your nose and get as much ball handling on the floor as you can and ignore everything else because you need more ball handling. So I just want to say that up front, there is logic to it. Um, so there's two main things that I think... Which uh, with uh, Dwayne Casey thinks that Ish Smith is better than he is. First off, is that I think there's an extent to which Dwayne Casey is just like, well, this worked with Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry, so why won't it work with Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith? When obviously Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith are not Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet. Honestly, you could probably make an argument that Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet are better than both of you know the. Fred Van Vliet may be better than both Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith, And so that's one thing. But the thing is, so like you brought up, when they do that lineup, it's almost always ends up with Ish Smith playing point guard and Reggie Jackson just straight up playing the two guard and just becoming basically totally an off ball player. And I think that's a that's incredibly dumb. That's a terrible idea. Because first off, I think Reggie Jackson is a better ball handler than Ish Smith, but also I mean he's shot better so far this year, but Reggie Jackson is not some knockdown three point shooter. and obviously when you have those two on the floor, you're certainly not improving your defense either. And so it's kind of like you know, I just I think that that's not good. and the biggest way to see the damage that taking the ball out of Reggie Jackson's hands has had. Is to look at Andre Drummond's efficiency numbers, and because without Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond's abilities plummet significantly, especially with Ish Smith, because Ish Smith is so short that so it's kind of like you know there's people who they think all they think about with point guards. I think Dwayne Casey's kind of like this because I've heard him talk about it before. Is and we all know the certain fans that think like this, where all they think about with point guards are pass first versus score first. And clearly, Ish Smith is a pass first guy. Reggie Jackson is a score first guy. And so they think that, and so they think, I'd rather have Ish Smith because we need that pass first point guard. And the reality is, though, Reggie Jackson is a better facilitator than Ish Smith is because Ish Smith is so small, and he's not particularly daring with his passes. And it works out because he doesn't turn the ball over very often, which has always been, you know, even when the Pistons signed him. That was his best attribute is that he does not turn the ball over very much, but he just he does not hit a lot of passes to guys like really tough passes. He's particularly bad at throwing lobs to roll men, which really hurts Andre Drummond, of course. And I think that taking the ball of Reggie Jackson's hands and putting it in Ish hands more is not only hurting your offense just because Reggie Jackson is better than Ish Smith but because you're now making Andre Drummond way less effective. Now he's doing post-ups more. He's not just rolling to the rim and dunking on guys. Um, I think one of the best ways to view this actually is so down Down to Buck made a compilation of all of Andre Drummond's dunks from last year. And if you watch oh, yeah, that... I
1: know, I know exactly what you're about to say. Like There's a huge chunk, yeah, chunk of time just,
0: between... Yeah, just watch how many times... It's from Reggie Jackson, and how many times it's from Ish And Not that Ish Smith never threw lobs, but I probably should double check this. I would guess Ish Smith probably played more minutes with Andre Drummond than Reggie Jackson did last year, wouldn't he have? I should double check uh, this actually. Yeah, that, that I mean that would not surprise me. They certainly that would be pretty close to even, and.
1: But no, I mean, and when you're when you're talking about the down to buck video, like I know exactly what you're talking about because you'll see Reggie. If you know the Pistons schedule, you know Reggie gets hurt like around uh, early January, late December, and so like if you know what you're looking for, like there's a there's a large section of games that like Andre just like does not have any dunks in, and you're just like, huh, I wonder why that is,
0: and it's because Reggie Jackson was hurt. Yeah, and so. I think that's the other thing that really bothers me about it. And the last thing is that I think you cannot overvalue what Ishmith's shooting has done this year because it is great, don't get me wrong. I'm absolutely thrilled he's shooting. I'm thrilled that he's hitting some shots. He's not doing nearly as many sort of bad possessions where he just coughs up mid-rangers, which is was one of the most maddening things about last year. Um, but, so Ishmith is shooting 46% from three. But he's not shooting that many still, and teams are not guarding him from three yet, and so he's still so
1: you you'll see this i I noticed this in the uh in the preseason in the um in the Brooklyn game like you'll see teams like sag really heavily off ish, then he'll take some and he'll make some, but he'll make them because he's got like eight feet of space between him and the nearest defender, especially if like zaza setting the screen, yeah. You'll see guys like play way under, and then they'll realize, like, oh crap, he'll make this shot. And so they play up a little bit, and then he drives past them. But, and there's just never really, they're trying to figure out the balance of how to play him, like, in game. There's no like scheming against Ish Smith at this point. And as we saw last year, like, if you give coaches time to scheme against Ish Smith, he becomes a very, very,
0: much a worse offensive player. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm like, I don't think this is going to work as well long term. But, when I say that Ishmith is not as good as Dwayne Casey thinks, my main gripe is that they've closed Ishmith pretty is much not a 47% three-point shooter. Yeah. And like they've closed pretty much I think they've closed pretty much every single one of their games with not only with Ishmith on the floor, which as I said, you can make a strong argument for him being one of their five best guys. And in that case, you know what? I don't even mind that. But they've had him with the ball in his hands a lot, and he's playing point guard. Which, I especially last night, Reggie Jackson did not exactly finish the game strong. Oh, so I will I will say this. So we have two games uh, against the Brooklyn Nets
1: where Reggie Jackson tried to take the ball in his hands uh, specifically. Like it was 2015 again to close the game out against an opponent. And it's worked. It's quote-unquote worked once and it hasn't worked once. Yeah. So he has not looked like the player he was two years ago. And so, like, in that case, like, the ball definitely should be in Blake's hands. And, like, Ish to uh, be a better – I trust Ish to have the mentality of, like, not trying to be a hero more than I trust, like, Reggie in that situation. Like, Reggie, Reggie takes those shots. He, like, does have the potential to make them. But, like, in the end, like, I honestly, I want Blake taking those shots. I don't want Reggie
0: taking those well, shots. Well, yeah, obviously, Blake Griffin should be the guy at the end of the games. But um, here's the other thing with this, okay? The whole point of Dwayne Casey as a coach, because even and people who are being honest at least about it and actually know about it at least, no one is going to claim Dwayne Casey is some brilliant tactical coach or, you know, a lot of other things. The main thing he's got is that guys love him and he gets guys to buy in. So if oh, no,
2: he he's, can't,
0: he's, a, he's tactically smart, defensively, right? Ostensibly,
1: yeah. like that's that's the thing, right? Yeah. Like he was a led, like he was the guy who invented the defense to like help slow LeBron in yeah. the 2011 finals, right? Like he's always been known more for that side of the ball rather than offense, yeah. And like all, because offense, you can be way more creative with it, you can do fancier shit. Um, it's easier to think of offensive guys as like quote unquote like tacticians, but like I think he's. Okay, I'm gonna say this and it's gonna sound crazy, but like you you you're gonna hopefully understand what I mean. I think he's more like a Brad Stevens, like in that way, and that like his his intelligence lies on the defensive side of the of the ball, and that makes it a little less um that makes it like a little bit more opaque when you're thinking about like, oh, who are like who's like these like brilliant coaching minds, right? Um, um I mean, I get what you're saying.
0: But I mean, like, Dwayne Casey is not Brad Stevens. I want to make that, well, yeah, obviously. Guy. We're not. Um, my main thing with that is so, first off, other than last year, the Raptors were never that good defensively, they were consistently solid, but um, just I just with really like mediocre personnel. I mean,
1: DeMar not, not
0: great, but okay, here's the thing, all right. The Pistons have been in, like, right around 10th in defensive efficiency every year Stan Van Gundy was there, and it's not like they've had killer defensive personnel either. So it's just... I don't know. He, he's he's definitely... He's not a bum defense... Okay, he's not a bum coach. I, there's some people who've gotten that idea from me saying that, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the hire, that I think he's some bum coach. Obviously, he's not that. Um, I just... There, for a guy who's supposed to be, before I call a guy some really, really high-intelligence, tactical guy on defense, I would like to see more seasons where the de- his team's defense is like really good. Because, and like you said, it's not like he had awesome personnel in Toronto, but it's not like he's had terrible personnel. In the last two years, oh, you've so got like, Serge like Baca, so Kyle like Lowry defends too.
1: How did Stan Van Gundy invent like a top 10 defense in Detroit, right? It was never turn the ball over, never foul the best offensive rebounder in the world to prevent like any semblance of transition offense. Yeah, right. Dwayne Casey had none of those things. And Lee Johnson, he, he didn't have the rebounding prowess of like an Andre Drummond. He didn't he didn't have um, like a, a shutdown wing. Uh, he didn't have uh, a pretty good big man defender until Ibaka got there, and then Ibaka promptly got old. But I'm saying like Dwayne Casey like still managed to a half defensive team without any of the things that you would think would make a team like good at defense. Yeah, and so like I would I would like to give him credit for that. Yeah. Okay,
0: all. I get what you're saying, and I do agree with it to an extent. Just I'm not sure that I would say that he's like a really high level defensive mind. Um But regardless of all that, okay, one of, if not the, one of the main things of Dwayne Casey is that he's a guy who his players love and he gets guys to buy in. So if he can't get Reggie Jackson to convince him that, you know, you know, we want you to have the ball at the end of games, but Blake is the guy, then, I mean, that's kind of what he's got to be able to do. And also, here's the other thing, I guess, if you can't convince him to do that, then... I don't know why you're playing Reggie Jackson at the end of games because he's not making you better oh, defensively. And it's definitely true.
1: So it's, it's hard to base an offense in crunch time around Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin because the obvious thing you would want to do is put those two guys in a pick and roll. And Blake just like does not operate as a pick and roll dive man with any alacrity anymore. Like he just doesn't. His his game now is finding mismatches, like, beating bullying guys in from, like, 18 feet and in, and making passes when they send uh, double teams at him. Like, that's his game now. Yeah. And so, it's like, as a pick-and-roll distributor and scorer. And so, like, those two guys' games fundamentally don't fit with one another, so you have to sublimate the guy who's worse, and so it's, it's, it's Reggie Jackson. And so, like that's where we are right now with with Blake and Reggie, which is why I would like to see more non-Blake uh, but Reggie and Andre lineups. I would like them to try and like recreate the the spark of twenty fifteen in in some places, or like you know a three minute span. Like that would that would be a good place to put a Bruce Brown, Glenn Robinson the third, Stanley Johnson like wing trio, right? Yeah. Like you just run you run picking rolls with Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond, that's your offense. And on defense, you just use Bruce Brown and Stanley Johnson to shut down everything and Andre grabs the rebounds, right? Like yeah. That, like that lineup has an identity and it's something you can build upon that is not
0: dependent on Blake Griffin being on the court. Yeah. And I'm for what it's worth, on that degree, I'm all the way with you. And early in the season, one of the more confusing things to me is that Dwayne Casey seems to want to play Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin together as much as possible. They have not spent... I don't have, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they have not spent a ton of time without without each other on the floor. There's been a few games where they've like come off and come back on at the same time, which if there were two guys on this roster you'd want to stagger, it seems like it would be them, which that's just kind of confusing. Um... Yeah, here's I guess here's another one of my gripes, which I suppose is not even necessarily a ishmith Reggie Jackson one, is that I feel like if you if the Pistons had a more creative offensive coach, you wouldn't just be like, well, Ish- Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin, you don't really fit great together because you don't want to run a pick and roll with them together. So yeah, is that there are definitely ways to make use of those two guys on the floor at the same time. And the Pistons, they just don't have anything in place to really do so. And, yeah, so one thing, though, is like Koo has been here for a while now and he said basically nothing. So, Koo, do you have anything you want to say? What do you think about Ishmith and Reggie Jackson playing together?
2: I mean, I'm just I'm just listening to y'all right now. Uh, you know, me and you have talked about this a lot on, on, on quite a few podcasts now already, but I, like you said, I see the logic for it offensively, trying to have playmakers out there as many as you can since the Pistons haven't had very many of those throughout the years before Blake got here. But something that's like personally like getting on my nerves is that when like when Joe's, Joe's going to take credit for this because he told me before the season that Dwayne Casey isn't a very good in-game adjustments kind of person. But, like, when there's, like, two big guards in the other team, you've got Ish Smith out there with Reggie Jackson, and the team is just, like, taking advantage of both of them not being very good on defense, along with Ish Smith. Like, this last game against Brooklyn, we had Ish Smith guarding Dinwiddie. It's, so like, a large stretch of the fourth quarter, and Dinwiddie was just ripping us to shreds. And it made zero sense to me why Stanley Johnson wasn't out there guarding Dinwiddie or just, like, someone else. There's no reason why... It should be such a long stretch where Smith is guarding a 6, what, what is he, 6'7", six, six, uh, He's 6'6". Like, there's just no reason. And, it, like, it showed because what he started to, like, really mess us up throughout the whole fourth quarter in overtime. So, like, that's where it's, like, really starting to make me mad because defensively teams are just, like, taking advantage of it. Brad Stevens was doing it too, just getting Smith switched on, like, to bigger guys and just taking advantage of it. But, like I, like, I agree with you, Joe. I see the logic for it on offense. I, it really relies upon, in my opinion, if Smith being able to continue to shoot as well as he is. Because right now, Reggie Jackson's doing 33% on seven attempts a game from three. So it really relies upon if Smith being able to continue to shoot the way he is from long distance. And I just don't see that happening. But I see the logic for it offensively. I, I think that the lineup can be used. I believe we talked about this with Tyler, but I think the lineup can be used like in short spurts and like at certain moments in the game. Like I'm not saying the lineup's just trash. I never would like to see it, but there's definitely situations where you'd like to see it, and situations where you definitely would not like to see it. And I think one of those situations is definitely when a six-eight point guard is dominating your set. Six foot, lucky, lucky to be named six feet by the <laughs> by the NBA. More like five ten point guard and he's just getting destroyed all fourth quarter, and you're just like, nope, nope, we're going to keep rocking this out there. We're just going to let him keep doing this because at some point he's going to get better at it. No, it's like, no, like at some point you have to be smart enough to say, eh, this may not be working out right now. I might have to switch this up a little bit.
1: Well, I'm right there with you, Koo, because like he was playing Ish, Reggie, and Langston together. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. Those was, lines have oh been God. so
0: bad. What are we doing? <laughs> well, I yeah, mean, it Yeah, it was pretty bad. And just to kind of tack on to that coup, all right, this is part of, once again, this is part of my gripe with the fact that they've been closing games with Jackson and Smith on the floor, is that when you close games with those two, when you decide to play those two together over basically any of the other Pistons options at shooting guard, okay, you're making yourself worse defensively. Like, that is just a fact. And I feel like, especially because they just, they do not have this sort of offensive creativity, and this is something Dwayne Casey's never had, which and I'm not a fan of that, but it's just that's not a, even necessarily a complaint about Casey right now. It's just it is what it is. They have a very sort of caveman, blunt force, offensive style, and there's an the extent to which it works. They don't turn the ball over very often, for instance, right? They don't assist very much, but they basically well, never no, turn I mean, it over. Blake is starting to turn it
1: over more. Yeah, right? he is, because but... teams are trying to figure it out.
0: Well, another thing with that, I mean, that was gonna happen, like through the first three games he only had one turnover, so he was bound for some regression there. But it's just even with that though, they don't turn the ball over very often. That's just one example. I'm trying to not spin it as a me just trashing casey, all right? So they they just don't have the sort of really creative, flowing offensive style that's going to really make good use of Reggie Jackson if he's off the ball. Basically, they're using Reggie Jackson as a shooting guard. And essentially, you've got then, by playing him with Ishmith, you've got Ishmith plus a shooting guard who's not a very good three-point shooter and is a minus defensively. But occasionally, he'll get the ball and we'll be able to take guys off the dribble. And I just, I think that's not a good option. So, I think closing with them together is not a good long-term idea, especially when Ishmith starts to miss more shots. And then... I think Reggie Jackson is better than Ish Smith, so you should play him at the end of games over Ish. So, yeah. And oh, who would
1: you in in the like long term future once Ish starts hitting like thirty three percent of his threes, like we you could reasonably expect him to do? Like, what would you envision
0: the the closing lineup being then, Joe or Koo? I don't care. Uh, I'll go first, Koo. You can go second. Um, all right. I would say so. Reggie Jackson's your point guard. Reggie Bullock is your shooting guard. Um, You've got Blake and Andre up front. That wing spot, it would depend a little bit, the third spot I guess, it would depend a little bit on um, a combination of first off, does Stanley Johnson start to show some semblance of better offensive play and then also the matchup because there's certainly some matchups where you're going to want Stanley Johnson on the floor at the end of games just because you need his defense. And then, so, ku you've talked about this, and you and Hal have talked about it on Twitter quite a bit, about that uh-huh. Stanley Johnson has actually changed up his shooting mechanics a little bit. I actually took a clip of the last game, because there's one three he hit where it was like, okay, I admit this is different. So, he's still only shooting like 28% from three right now, but it's early enough that, like, if he could hit even like 33 or 34% from three, it would start to swing towards me just saying, yeah, it should be Stanley Johnson, but... That fifth spot is open to interpretation just because of the fact that they do not have the sort of offense that is really going to take full use of two ball handlers, especially down the stretch where they really go slower and such. I just uh-huh. I don't see the logic in playing both of them because you're making yourself worse defensively, and you're not really taking full advantage of having them both on the floor. Because one of the main advantages of having them both is that um, when you've got, you've got essentially them when they're on the floor with Blake, you've got three guys who can all take the ball and push it immediately up the floor. So that's helped them get some transition points, which is good, but that's not something that happens very often at the end of games. Cause defenses are more locked in guys. Don't get lazy getting back on defense, that sort of thing. So yeah, cool. You can see
1: uh, what, what your lineup. Be?
2: Um, just real quick, before I say that, I just want to say something to hit back up. Like what we were saying just a couple minutes ago. Just real quick. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie in the two matchups with, that we've won against them, he has 25 points and 23 points. Uh, the first game he shot 10 of 18. This past game he lo- he shot um, 8 of 15. And a large part of both of these have came, like, at the end of the game when Ish Smith is guarding him. So, like, you figured, like, after the first game, maybe Casey will realize the put Sanos on on him. But I'll move on past that. Um, uh, yeah, it should probably be – I'll go with Reddy Jackson – and Bullock, as long as he's healthy, which he's not right now, so it kind of makes it sticky right now. But uh, I'll go with Bullock, Drummond, and Griffin, and then you know, last uh, <laughs> me and you, on am like on two different spectrums. I follow your work, and I've, I've you know I've watched, uh, list, I've seen what you how you feel about this whole small fork spot, and I see I know that you're a big uh, Glenn Robinson guy, and like I'm on the complete opposite. I'm a big Stanley Johnson guy, so. What I'd say is this, Joe kind of hit on it. It, it kind of depends on matchups because I don't know if you've listened to what we and Joe have said briefly as uh, of late, but uh, Stanley Johnson's defense, like the past few games, has just been like, it's been insane how good he's been on the defensive end. Now, obviously the, the negative comes in the offensive end, but with with the Pistons, there's just not that many, like, Andre Drummond's an okay defender. Blake Griffin has probably one of the worst closeouts I've, I've seen in life <laughs> in basketball history. Reddy Jackson, I mean, he's trying on defense, but even when he's trying like me and Joe have talked about, it's still like him trying is about average. And then Bullock's okay, but he's a bit undersized for a wing player. So if you like have him out there, have those four out there with Glenn Robinson, you better hope there's like not someone on the other team that's like around like Stanley's size or a bigger size that's like dominating or someone even as as, like, the bodybuilder of Spencer Dinwiddie because if you don't have Stanley out there, it could spell trouble for your team on the defensive end. But as you guys will probably point out to me, the offensive end probably takes a lot of the hit uh, with Stanley out there. So I really think it depends on matchups. I'm probably going with Stanley partly because I'm biased and then partly because I'm a sucker for defense. I think Stanley, what he brings on defensive end, outweighs what Glenn Robinson will bring for us on the offensive end. But I'll probably yeah I probably go with Stanley more often than hey, not as a fifth guy. Hey Koo, Koo. Hey,
1: See, Koo, Koo look. you were asleep, so you missed me being nice yeah, about he Stanley's was. offense earlier.
0: Yeah. Oh no, I missed it. Here, coo, hey, just a sec. To it later, like everybody else. Yeah, just a sec. I gotta get in here, a sec. Coo, we're not talking about Derrick Rose's fifty-point game, but when Stanley Johnson up, Joe, when Stanley Johnson it. tweeted his his congrats to Derrick Rose on that. Did your, like did your heart just melt into oblivion and you were just like <laughs> no, the pureness no, of my happiness no. cannot be topped you know, I, Stanley Johnson know. congratulating Derrick Rose like did you just you you probably are like I will never this will never be topped someday you know, you'll be having your first we're, kid we're, you'll be like yeah this is still second place man
2: <laughs> You know you know we're all from the same type of cloth I expected Stanley to go out there and do something like that you know it didn't shock me, so no, it didn't melt my heart, Joe. But did I expect it? Yes, of course.
0: Okay, yeah, we're not we're not gonna talk about that. I, I'm gonna let Koo have plenty of time to talk about that in the next pod because I kind of got him on the last one. But yeah, I mean, just with the close that fifth spot is a tricky one in the closing lineups. And
1: oh, the thing that's disappointed me is that like Bullock hasn't been better defensively, right? Like. That was always the thing that subtly impressed me last year. Like, he did a really good job on Victor Oladipo in, uh, in the January game that uh, Canard started, I think, last year. Yeah, I remember um, that. So he does, like, he's, if you have him at the two, he's 6'7 with, like, a six eight six nine wingspan. So, like, he's at least long enough to bother a lot of guys. But against the Bulls this year, like, Zach Levine was just cooking him. And it was just, okay, like, all right, maybe, maybe he's not fully healthy. Maybe he's not fully engaged. Maybe something is different schematically. But, like, Reggie Bullock just doesn't look like the same guy. And so, cool, like, that was why I was, like, a little bit more okay with a Glenn Robinson in, like, a starting and closing lineup is because I expected a little bit more from Reggie Bullock defensively. Yeah. And now that we see that, like, that's not – maybe that's not as reliable as I would like it to be. Like, Ann Stanley has played better – Confident offensively, and like I'm sure a lot of that is attributable to Dwayne Casey, like being like, No, like you're not gonna get benched because you fuck up on offense, it's fine, like, uh-huh. don't worry about it. But at the same time, like, yeah, so yeah, I'm fine with like Stanley being in a closing lineup, like, I i understand, okay,
0: I, I'm like, said, I'm bulldogs,
1: and Stanley's is uh, two for 10 on corner
0: threes <sighs> on the year, and like, if that keeps oh. up, like. Mm-hmm. Well, on Block's defense, a sec, I got a crazy theory about this, okay? I, I think know. Here we go. I forget, yeah, let's hear it. I forget what it's called, but there's a theory that guys have with catchers in baseball where the worse offensively a catcher is, the better his defensive reputation. I think that's been the case with Reggie Block, <laughs> except it's not just reputation. It's actually true. It seems like because when he first got to the Pistons, He was, like, much better defensively. But then the moment – it seems like the moment he starts to get confidence on the offensive end, his effort on defense drops a little bit. And, like, that's actually something that I've thought before because each time that he sort of right when he started to bust into the rotation and it's like he's not necessarily playing great on offense, his defense has been better, I think. But once he sort of got comfortable offensively and he's like, no, I'm in here and I'm going to shoot a bunch and score – his defensive effort has dropped, and he would hardly be the first guy in NBA history whose defensive abilities has dropped when he's taken on more offensive load, obviously. But it's just that's just one thing that I wanted to toss in there, that I feel like, because he's coming to this season really confident, he pretty clearly cemented himself last year that he's the best wing on the Pistons roster, that I feel like that's a big reason why his defensive effort has not been quite as good. Because so... Th- and I remember this game you just brought up where he guarded Victor Oladipo. That was he had not busted. He would not been in the rotation, the full rotation, for that long at that point, right? Like about a he got in towards the end of November. That I think was like
1: Avery Bradley was like his first round of injuries, yeah. And
0: so like they were
1: still trying to figure some stuff out on the on the wing. Canard was starting in that game, so like clearly they were they were figuring yeah.
0: some stuff out. And so that was right when, that's what I mean, though. So that was right when that was happening. So he was like, you know, I'm not all the way in here. I'm not all the way in offensively. And so he really plays good defense. But I feel like when he's more comfortable and doing more stuff offensively, he just loses that little extra bit of sort of focus and energy on the defensive end that he goes from being, oh, this guy is, you know, he's not like some superstar defender, but... He's a really solid defensive player to, yeah, he's just kind of okay. And even then, he still has a bad tendency to just have mental mistakes on defense, which is frustrating, but yeah. And I do get what you're saying with uh, your point about how um, you thought you were getting the better defensive Reggie Bullock, and that's one of the reasons you're more okay with starting Glenn Robinson, and that's that does make good sense for a little bit of a switch up there for sure.
2: So just real quick, Joe, um, uh, going on with what Laz asked, was Veggie Bullock out then going into the future? What you guys, What's the five you guys want closing then? Then Veggie Bullock could be out for however much. Well, I don't he think he's going to
0: be out for very long. He actually he tried to play more in the last game. He just decided it hurt too much. And okay. because they've got they got rid of their old trainer, I'm pretty confident that if they were worried about him injuring it worse, they wouldn't have tossed him back out there. I certainly hope they wouldn't have done that at least. So I don't think he's going to be out very long. But if we're just going for the immediate future, at least, where him and also then Luke Kennard's also out, I feel like yeah. you've you've got to close with. Um, you kind of have maybe at this point it is so lopsided that you just close with Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith because you're. I and mean, what I think, at least your top two shooting guards are both out. So maybe at that point it actually is worth it to just play Reggie Bullock. But, I mean, that's that's definitely a tougher question because they're also missing Luke Kennard, and he's definitely the guy that I'd want to put in there if Reggie Bullock's not going to play. And no, for to sw- Go ahead. I see
2: Joe. I don't, I don't know if Laz has heard this. I wanted to tell Laz this. Laz, I am actually was asking this guy. I kind of wanted to hear what you had to say about it because... Me and Joe just talked about this, I believe, on the last pod. I actually have been like, I really want to see more of Stanley and and Glenn Robinson on the wings. So like, I believe that if you see both of them on the wings, it, it like brings more defensively to where you can like have more switchability across the court, and it helps the and Glenn Robinson's pretty long and athletic, so I think that it helps the team. So I don't know if that would be the lineup that like would happen, but I think it would be interesting to see more of them. If Reggie Bullock would be out, I think seeing GR three and Stanley on the wings together with a Reggie Jackson and uh Blake Griffin and Andre, I feel like right. that's like a lineup that I'd like to see.
1: It would be interesting. So like the thing is with um like with a closing lineup with Reggie and Ish, like those are two guys that Blake is comfortable like playing a two man game with. Or Ish at least is a guy Blake is comfortable playing like a two man game with. Um Hasn't shown that level of familiarity with Stanley or Glenn. Like that's why he really likes Reggie Bullock, or that's why like really Reggie Bullock really popped in the second half of the year, because like him and Blake just have really good chemistry on the wing. But um, that would be that would be tough. I just know, I feel, like right now I'm leaning towards Reggie and Ish in the backcourt, and like Stanley. Um, like if if you're going to lean in that direction, like. Yeah, I can see cases, edge cases, in which it would make sense to go like uh, Reggie, Bruce, Stanley. Like if yeah, that's
2: up, even I was gonna say that by
1: like eight or something with like two minutes to go, and you just need to like sit on the lead. Like that makes sense, but um, I'm not. I don't, like uh, to Stanley and Glenn like playing together, and I don't immediately love that. Um, immediately hate it either. So there's that.
2: Didn't, didn't they uh, this this last game? Not this last game. Uh, actually, yeah, this last game they had a, know, this, in this the third quarter they had they, all...
1: they had well they had Bruce Stanley Anglin all in the
0: court at yeah, the same yeah. time, yeah. right?
1: But like Stanley's playing the four in that situation, yeah. So like
0: things are a little bit and different. They did and like they did start the second half with Bruce Brown essentially playing shooting guard next to Stanley Johnson. Then Blake Griffin was still at the power forward, obviously.
2: Mm-hmm. See, that's the big thing with me is that you know I I told Joe this. The other day is that I'm probably more like Casey and Stan Van Gundy that I that act like. I'm a sucker for defense, and when I see Ish Smith, like, like I just don't like seeing Ish Smith getting like tortured by other teams, like in late game situations by bigger guards because they know we have two point guards out there, neither of them being very good defensively, so they just like take advantage of it, and it's like really it gets on my nerves. So like I understand like why he wants to get. Like, go ahead
1: tough right because like boston has like four dudes that they can put on the court at the same time so there's like even like in the best case scenario there would be no place to hide ish so like that's pretty tough but like brooklyn at um you'd think you'd have like uh stanley on whoever's hotter and reggie on the bigger guy and like you could hide um ish on like a joe harris or somebody and just tell ish like don't leave joe harris open and, and stay with him like as he cuts through and everything
0: but 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 fine. but here's the issue though with putting him on joe harris and this was something that because they tried to do this last year quite a bit is that if you put ish smith on a wing shooter he's so freaking small that they just shoot over him and he also ish smith Okay, there are three guarantees in life. Death, taxes, and Ishmith fouling three-point three shooters, shooters yep. in important yep. moments. I do not want Smith anywhere near Joe Harris. Thank you very Fair. much, Laz.
2: <laughs> Actually, Ishmith fouling a three-point shooter, you could say, like, kind of swung the momentum back into Brooklyn's favor this past game. He fouled, I forgot who it was. Was it, it Dinwiddie? It was
1: Spencer, yeah.
2: Yeah, he fouled Dinwiddie on, like, it was, it was just like a ludicrous foul, too, because it was like, it, like as he ran by him, his opposite hand swung around and hit him in the back of the head. So it was like a, it was a stupid foul, and it kind of like let them back in the game. I believe it was like a two, three possession game after Blake hit a three or, or something. But, yeah, that kind of hurt them the game. It hurt them in that game. But, yeah, I just don't like seeing it. I, I, I'm just not a fan of seeing Ish out there closing the game with Reggie because of the defensive woes that could happen. But you know, I'm I, I, admittingly, I'm I'm a sucker for defense. So I may just be letting the defense overshadow what I think about potentially on offense. So there's that.
1: I mean, that's that makes sense. I'm i um, I'm a sucker for like size at all positions. Yeah. So like, I I totally get that. I like tall point guards.
2: Uh mm-hmm. huh. Well, I mean, I'm even. Yeah, go ahead.
0: I mean, one thing. So. I mean, honestly, Koo, I'm kinda with you in a lot of ways where I I honestly a lot of the times we'll talk about you and we get into arguments in our group chat a lot because I'll be you'll be like, This dude's really good and I'm like, Yeah, but what about defense? And I think that with the the big thing, so like because you brought it up, right? The potential of essentially playing Glenn Robinson at shooting guard, which it is worth noting that Both Glenn Robinson and Stanley Johnson have spent a lot more time in their careers playing shooting guard than they have power forward, so it wouldn't be totally foreign to either of them to be in that sort of a situation, but I think to do that over the Ishmith-Reggie Jackson thing while Bullock and Kennard are hurt, it would really probably have to be a situation where it's like, over a certain amount of time, there's enough evidence to just say... Reggie Jackson and Ish simply, you cannot defend with those two guys on the floor together at the end of games. Like, it's just, they just get cooked every time. And then at that point, you just say, you know, Glenn Robinson is not going to get as cooked as Ish Smith and Reggie Jackson are. So you put him in for one of those guys. I do think that there is, there's certainly a logic to that, at least, I guess.
2: Yeah. But, like, from just from me and you've talked about, and I'm trying to, because, you know, I started off the season with, in that little group that was like, you know, it's a new season. Let's see what Casey does. He'll be different, blah, blah blah. And you've you've slowly, but surely, like swung me completely into your favor, into this whole. Nah, this is pretty much the same stuff that he's been doing for his like his whole career as a head coach. So like, like my worry is is that even if this was, Reddy Jackson never, Smith, go ahead.
1: It was never gonna be like he is completely different from the dude he was before. It was gonna be. He's completely different from Stan Van Gundy, right? Well, that's he's gonna he's gonna try some things like playing Ish and Reggie together that Stan would like never ever do, and so like hopefully those things work. He's gonna emphasize things that Stan would never emphasize, like shooting a bunch of threes, even if you're a bad three point shooter. So just because like mathematically it's it's smarter or whatever. Yeah. So it's like that that was where you were trying to make like a marginal difference over Dwayne Casey, right? Not like oh, we're going to hire um, the best – well, he was the best coach, like, available. Which is, like, one thing I will say, right? Like, it could be worse. We could have, like, J.B. Bickerstaff be head coach of the Pistons right yeah. now, right? Like,
0: And, I, I mean, that. that's so. something that I've always been – I've done my best to always bring up whenever I've complained about Casey is that it definitely could be worse. Like, I mean, you could get a guy – I mean, shoot, Pistons fans don't have to think back very far – To think of coaches that they're just such utter bums that they don't even, not only do they not do anything right tactically, but they lose the locker room almost immediately. And with Casey, at the very least, he brings a certain amount of just basic competence that's like he's not going to totally screw everything up at the very least, which even if you're even less impressed by some of his tactical stuff than I am, you have to admit that at least he's going to keep the locker room together. They're going to keep playing hard and such. So yeah, it is this important is, to this remember. This is
1: very that. much a team that like only needed stuff to not go wrong to be where they want to be, right? Like this team wants to make the playoffs, wants to be competitive in the first round. Like that's really all this team and front
0: office and ownership group like wants. Well, here's and so Dwayne Casey is definitely a dude who can make that happen. And here's kind of my biggest and has been one of my biggest things. So first off. I think that if they had had a guy who was more creative offensively, I think that there's enough tools here that this Pistons team could theoretically be like spectacular on offense. I really do think that. But the other thing is that I just have, I think that you have to expect that Blake Griffin is going to miss 10 to 20 games. And right now, I'm utterly terrified of what is going to happen when that happens. Like, oh, they may yeah. not. They may not win a game. And when you're trying to, you know, you're trying to make the playoffs at the back end and be competitive in the first round. If Blake Griffin misses fifteen games and you go two and thirteen, guess what? There go your playoff chances. And that's also one of the reasons why, you know, some of the beat writers in particular have sort of pushed back against people who are like, you know, they're not winning by enough, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. that's like you've got all your guys right
1: now. All the wins you can get.
0: Yeah, it's like You can't, simply put, you can't afford to just say, well, they're 4-3, and so they're above five hundred. Now, obviously, Boston's awesome, so I'm not, like, super bummed out. It was disappointing for them to get blown out by so much, and obviously how the second Boston game ended was disappointing. But, you know, obviously, I'm not stressed about the fact that they lost two games to Boston. Boston is awesome. But it's like, you can't be coming back and losing to Brooklyn. You've got all your guys. You have to kill it in these situations. And so that's one of the things is that it's like if Blake Griffin gets hurt for any amount of time, I think they're going to be utterly cooked because they really don't have a whole lot of, they don't, <laughs> there isn't a whole lot of offensive philosophy beyond, hey, Blake, go do something that works with much consistency. So I've, I've said this before, and I'll, I continue to say
1: this, uh, and this will be like the last thing I say because it's late the the I'm not worried about I'm less worried about Blake missing time. I'm less worried about Reggie missing time. I'm worried about Blake and Reggie missing like the same seven games, right? Yeah. Like that, that would be really disastrous for the Pistons because at that point they have like nothing to lean on offensively. I think if Blake got hurt, you could you could kind of revert some sets back to emphasizing the Andre drum and Reggie Jackson pick and roll more and be in a better place you'd have you'd have no reason to play uh like blake's post-ups you'd have every reason to just be like all right here's a lineup with luke Kennard, reggie bullock and glenn robinson the third and Reggie surrounding reggie jackson under drummond just like shoes me threes as possible let's go um and if blake misses time without reggie um you would just do the things you're doing now with uh, a more capable spot-up shooter and Schmidt starting right like that yeah. would be that would be acceptable If there's no Blake and there's no Reggie, then it's like your entire offense is like Andre Drummond post-ups and like dudes cutting around him while he holds the ball from 18 feet and I like hold my breath. Like that is bad. I don't want that.
0: Yeah, that's fair.
2: Um, Real quick, Joe. Uh, I'm actually – I'm more in line with Joe and like even – I'm even to a worse extent. I think not only am I terrified for what the Pistons will look like without Blake from what I've seen the first, what is it, seven games – I'm also terrified that the likelihood of him getting hurt has gone significantly, significantly up after how much of a usage, how much he's being used already, how much of a load he's carrying. I'm, I'm, I'm extremely worried about the likelihood of him getting hurt if this continues.
1: Hey, You're definitely right to be. I am worried about the exact same
0: thing, Koo. are definitely not okay. worried about <laughs> Here's Here's the thing I'll close with because you brought it up, right, with Dwayne Casey. So you kind of said there's going to be marginal things that are going to make the Pistons better, okay? So, right now the Pistons are ranked eighteenth in the NBA in three point attempts. What do you think they ranked last year? Uh, twenty second, sixteenth, and then
1: okay, well, no. So the so like the the fifteenth place team last year.
0: Well, yeah, they're taking more threes three, than three, they were three, last every year. Everyone is shooting more threes. So basically, though, and then here's another thing, okay? Because in particular... Like, well, no, Joe, like, numerically, how many more shoot threes a game are they shooting like over three? last
1: year? That's a that's a decent chunk.
0: Yeah, it is. So, basically, I'm saying that you can make an argument that they would have taken more this year anyways. But here's the bigger thing, okay? Because um, you, and in particular, Vince kind of went at me about this with the three-point attempts by opponents, okay? The Pistons last year... Where did it go? It's right here. Last year. I don't remember where it went. Sorry. Never mind. I lost it. Whatever. <clears throat> That's what we'll finish on, though, I guess. So, any last thoughts from you, Laz? You said you were done, but any last things you want to say? Uh, you know, I host the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. You can find it on
1: iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Art19, uh, Blog Talk Radio, anywhere where you uh, download and listen to podcasts. Uh, I do that with my co host, Ben Gulker. You should follow us both on Twitter. Uh, at Laz Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Thanks for having me on, Joe. This was yeah. a fun conversation. Yeah.
0: And, uh, thanks for thanks for deigning to
1: wake up, Koo.
2: Yeah, now. yeah, of course, of course.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming on, Laz. We really appreciate it, and uh, we'll obviously we'll probably be back tomorrow and just gird your loins for Koo talking about Derrick Rose for a little bit. So. Fifty peace. <laughs> stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons.